I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike. With Lee Lonsberry, from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Eye on the Hill 2021, in depth coverage on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, 106. Is the time here on the eve of the inauguration of the next president of the United States and on day one of the 2021 general session of the Utah State Legislature. Uh, there's so much happening right now. We're going to try to cover as much as we can. Uh, try not to make this episode of the program feel like a fire hose. We're going to try to distill things down into tangible, tangible, manageable bite-sized pieces. <laughs> it probably helps me more than anything. Uh, one of the things that emerges uh, ahead of each legislative session are, of course, the priorities of those involved, specifically the the parties involved. And not that long ago, the majority party, the Republican uh, Party in the House, they released uh, a number of priorities, uh, a 12-page document that outlines everything they'd like to accomplish and where they would like to focus their energies uh, on during this 45-day legislative session. This morning... Uh, there was much ceremony. Uh, I mentioned earlier that my former boss and former Congressman Rob Bishop was on hand to introduce the Pledge of Allegiance, the National Anthem, and to administer the oath of office to those returning legislators and those who were uh, serving now for the first time. Also during those proceedings here this morning, Speaker Brad Wilson took to the dais and offered, uh, in part, these remarks. Let's build a regulatory sandbox that cultivates innovation. In a hyper-competitive marketplace, we simply cannot afford to crush new industries before they can even get off the ground by forcing them to fit into a regulatory framework that has never envisioned the innovations of tomorrow's economy. You heard that word regulatory sandbox there in that 20-minute excerpt of the remarks delivered by Speaker Brad Wilson this morning. That same phrase exists in that document I referenced, the priorities of the majority party in the House, a regulatory sandbox. It's something I I know is a a priority for uh, Connor Boyack. You have heard him on these airwaves a number of times. In fact, I I believe he's filled in for me a time or two. Very grateful to him for doing so. Uh, But this idea of a regulatory sandbox. I know is something that he feels very strongly about. Connor Boyack, president of Libertas Institute, joins us now to discuss, quite frankly, what the heck is a regulatory sandbox? <laughs> Connor, welcome to the program. How are hey, you doing? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, listen, I I may have misled some folks by uh, sounding like I knew what the heck I was talking about uh, in this introduction. <laughs> what is a, le- uh, a legislative sandbox or a regulatory sandbox referenced by uh, both yourself, the priorities of the majority in the House, as well as Speaker Wilson from the dais this morning? Well, uh, don't don't give yourself too hard a time. I'm still uh, getting the ropes myself. It's a pretty wonky term. 
but but my background was actually in tech before I got into public policy, and I was a developer. And in development, when you're in IT, you have your production environment, which is like the website or the app that the public is using. And then you have what's called a sandbox environment. And that's kind of like a safe space. It's a server or a computer where you can break things, right? You can test your code. And so this is very familiar for people in tech to talk about a sandbox. A regulatory sandbox is taking that idea and applying it to the government. Rather than having all these laws and regulations that apply to everyone, what if we had, think of it like a regulatory safe space where companies could operate under that lower regulatory environment. We're watching them carefully. We're reporting on them. Everything is being done with caution. But we can see, you know what, maybe we can get away with waiving these laws or these regulations or not punishing people this way. And so it's a way for companies to innovate uh, with new business models. I mean, think of like Uber and Lyft. When they first came to Utah, drivers were being punished with tickets, citations of over $6,000 by Salt Lake City. Why? Because the existing laws and regulations only contemplated a taxi model. They couldn't contemplate this new economy, this new approach to transportation. And so the initial approach of the government was, we're going to punish you. And then only later did the government catch up and change the laws and the regulations. What we're saying with a regulatory sandbox is let's just skip that punishment phase since the government inevitably is going to catch up and these businesses are going to get legalized, let's not punish them. Let's instead work together with these businesses and say, we're going to have this little environment where you're going to be shielded from the punishment, and then we'll work with the legislature, the city council, and we'll catch up to you and a changing economy. The, the, that phrase, shielded from punishment, it uh, you know, to a layman like me, it feels like uh, there's an opportunity to possibly skirt the rules. What are the safeguards against abuse of this type of uh, like safe space that's or a great safe question. Yeah, that's a very important question. Think of like a medication. If you want to get something FDA approved, the first thing that goes through like a phase one trial where they're like, hey, is this going to kill anyone? Oh, okay, this doesn't kill people? Great. Now let's study how effective it is. It's going to be that same approach here. If I uh, apply to participate in this regulatory sandbox, I want my company to benefit from those protections. The regulatory agency, the, the Department of Government that kind of oversees that profession, they basically will do a review and say, okay, well, if we suspend this law or this enforcement, is there going to be any threat to public safety, public health? Is anyone going to get defrauded? They have to go through that baseline criteria. If, if uh, you know, allowing them into the sandbox would create those problems, that's not going to happen. This is really just for circumstances. I'll, I'll give you a very brief example. Guy in Pleasant Grove a couple years ago wanted to create a new business that was kind of like a cost-sharing approach towards vehicle maintenance. Rather than you know insurance or paying out of pocket, he wanted to kind of spread it out. You could get a membership. They would help pay for your bills. It was kind of a weird, innovative thing. He approaches the Department of Insurance. They said, eh, you know, you're not insurance, so, you know, we don't know what to do with you. He sets up his business. He dumps in a quarter million dollars. Then the Department of Insurance comes at him and says, no, actually, that is too close to insurance. You're not allowed to do it. You need to shut down. And so it's, it's stuff like that where we want the entrepreneurs to be able to have a, a, a path forward to invest their money and serve the public rather than the government treating them, you know, like the round peg square hole kind of thing or round square peg round hole i got that backwards we we want to create a, a, a an environment in which safely companies can experience fewer de deregulations with significant oversight for a year or two max 
and then see if that creates a use case where, hey, maybe we don't need to have such strong regulations or laws in these cases. We can actually build out what those examples are. We can allow these companies more flexibility, better serve their customers, and then we can figure out if we've achieved the right balance with the laws and the regulations. Does this uh, create new positions in government? Does this grow government at all? Um, so this is going to be overseen by the governor's office of economic development. And so they will hire one person. He's going to be kind of the liaison who manages the sandbox. And so basically you apply and then he has to figure out or she, hey, which regulator do I need to go interface with? So this person, GoEd employs way too many people, if you ask me. They're all handing out all these tax incentives and doing all these things. But they're excited about this because Utah would be the first state in the country to have this. It would allow them to go out and cheerlead our state even more and say, look, we support innovation and entrepreneurship. And so I don't know if internally they're just going to move someone uh, from another role into this role. Uh, former Senator Dan Hemmert is now uh, heading up GoEd, and he was actually sponsoring this bill before he left. So that actually worked yeah. out pretty well. So it remains to be seen if they'll just move someone over or if they'll have to create an entirely new position. Has uh, has Senator Hemmert handed this off to someone? Is there someone carrying the water now? Yeah, uh, so this is going to be sponsored by Representative Corey Malloy uh, in the House sure. and then Senator Ann Milner in the Senate who's in leadership. Um, so we've got kind of a blessing of leadership from uh, both chambers, and we've been talking to the executive branch and the governor's office. And so we're very excited because uh, – you know, the courts in Utah have a sandbox. Uh, the legislature has already passed a couple sandboxes for some specific industries. This is an opportunity post-COVID economic recovery to say we want to be flexible for all businesses, all industries, and have the right kind of regulatory framework for them to uh, get help when they need it or when they're innovating and they're hitting their head up against the wall. This seems to be a good solution to try and accommodate that. And Utah is, uh, it's an innovative, it's an entrepreneurial, it is an aggressive and, uh, and smart place. It, it makes sense to, to whatever, you know, is possible to do to, uh, you know, spur that type of innovation and growth. Uh, listen, Connor, thank you so much for, for the lesson here. We'll follow the progress uh, of this. We'll, uh, touch base likely with, uh, uh Corey Malloy and the others carrying this water and, uh, see how things turn out. Very good. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Lee. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.